Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're in a very, very important part of the year right now, and I, I want to discuss the relationship between the month of Elul that we're in right now and uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, which is, which is coming up. So, so we make a big deal about this, this preparatory month, uh, these 29 days, actually, that are, that are leading into um, what, what we call Yom Hadin. That's, that's sort of the, the scary name for, for Rosh Hashanah. Yom Hadin means the Day of Judgment. So there, there actually is a day of judgment every year, believe it or not. But uh, the thing that you always have to remember is the one who's judging you is the one who loves you the most. Okay, so that's that, that's important. But it's kind of like we, we were talking about last week, the notion that there are all these different paradigms in terms of our relationship with God that are functioning simultaneously. You have king and subject, father and child, lovers, best friends, healer. You have all these things going on at the same time. But really, the moment where the idea of, of, of the next year really being formed, and, you know, destiny is a, is a bit of a strong word, because um, destiny implies that there's no free choice. And really, all of this is about free choice. Everything is about free choice. The whole world was founded, if that's, a, if that's actually a word, on free choice, believe it or not. We, we've discussed it many times. See, the Zohar says that the, the Torah is a blueprint for all of reality, um, and the very first letter of the Torah is obviously going to be extremely significant in terms of telling us where this place is. So, so we know the letter Bez, which is the first letter of the Torah, the Bez of Breshi, the, the, the first letter of in the beginning or out of beginnings, however you want to translate it, uh, is the number two. And number two, on a very, very deep level, stands for free choice because you can do this one thing, or you can do this other thing. And that explains also the hiddenness of God in this world. Because if God weren't hidden in this world, we wouldn't have free choice. It says angels don't have free choice because God is abundantly clear to them. So why would they want to do anything other than what is clearly in front of them? So, so... And that's the glory of mankind, of, of being a human being, is that you have this phenomenal tool which is unique in all of the universe, which is called free choice. You get to choose to serve God, or God allows you the, the opportunity to do that, right? But that also means, interestingly, Rabsadika Cohen talks about this, that we are the only creature in all of existence, in all the heavens, in all the, you know, spiritual realms that has a concept called struggle. We're the only ones who struggle. And that's actually sweet, meaning to say that if we are trying to do the right thing, like if we do the right thing, that's awesome. But even if we are trying to do the right thing, we are the only creation in, in all of the universe that gets to serve God through this concept called struggle. So, so that's, that's very unique to us. Okay, so, so what's, what's, what's the idea? Let's, let's go deeper. Because right now we're, we're in this very fertile ground See, all, all times in the year, if you think of it from a purely scientific standpoint, time is a pretty neutral ingredient. It just sort of goes and goes and goes and goes, right? Um, but in Torah, time is not a neutral ingredient. Time actually has a personality. Time is not an independent power. That's very important. We don't say they're lucky times, Right? Because that's already getting into the realm of idol worship. Because now you're turning to the time itself to answer your prayer on a very subtle level. So we, we don't do that. But what we do is we recognize the fact that just like if you're traveling around and you're in different neighborhoods, hey, you know, my, my dad used to tell me, I, I love this. I, <laughs> this is such an odd piece of information, and yet somehow I think about it all the time. My dad told me, and I think he heard it from his dad, which is that the best place to open up a hat store is next to another hat store because then it's the hat district. 
<laughs> so, yeah, it's, there's really like, you know, it's, it's a very interesting idea. So in other words, you're driving around. Well, not every place is the same. This is, now you're in the hat district. Well, do you need a hat? This, this is a place to go, right? Now you're in the flower district. This is where all the fresh flowers come in off the, off the boats from around the world. This is where you can get the cheapest flowers, the best, freshest flowers. So not every area, not every neighborhood is the same. And time, from the Torah perspective, is the same way. All the different times in the year are not the same, right? There are different locations where there are different fertile grounds for different actions. So, so now we're heading into the most crucial times because these are the most fertile days in order, you ready for this? To fix our lives, to change our lives, to fix our souls, and to change the world. So, I mean, this is like, this is where you want to be, basically. You, you want to be here. But you also want to take full advantage of the opportunity of being here, right? So that's what we're going to try to figure out right now. Just understand just the logic of it, how it works, okay? So I was thinking, you know, um, sort of on a more mystical level, every uh, month of the year has a different letter that's assigned to it, okay? So the month of Elul, the letter for the month of Elul is Yud, Right? Yud is a very, very special le- letter. It's a very holy letter in the Olive Bays. Yud, of course, is the first letter of the holiest name of God. Yud Ke Vavke. Right? Um, and it, it, it stands for really that, that the highest, highest emanations, highest reaches of heaven. Um, not only that, but just in terms of the shape of the letters, because we know there's holiness to the shapes of the letters. Yud is unique from all the other letters of the alphabet, because the letter Yud is the only letter that is written that floats off the ground. In other words, the the spirituality of the essence of the letter is reflected in the fact that it's not even on the ground. It's just floating. And it floats to the top, actually. It doesn't just float a little bit or float to the middle. It floats to the top of the line. So, So you see something very interesting with the letter Yud. I once imagined it, 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 it looking like, you know, imagine a, um, a rocket ship. When, when rockets launch, like when they hit a certain place in the, in the sky and the trajectory that, of their flight plan, the bottom falls off, right? And then the next stage falls off. And then at a certain point, you just have the top, just the capsule, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And to me, that's, that little capsule is like the letter Yud. It's like, it's just at the top of the line, and it's just going, right? So, but I was thinking also, and this is just me, me, me talking right now, but Yud is also like a seed. And what do you do with a seed? It's kind of the opposite idea. You plant a seed, you bury it underground so that it can't be seen. So, wow, this is interesting now, right? Because we've got two different aspects to the letter Yud. On the one letter, it's something like a seed that you're planting, that you're burying. So it's going underground. On the other hand, the Yud is the first letter of God's holiest name, and it's like this rocket ship that, that goes up infinitely. So what's going on? What's going on? Well, I think this gets back to the special nature of the days that we're in right now. See, because... What, what all of our sages are teaching us is that we say the king is in the field, right? That's, that means that God is extra available to us, extra available to us. He's always available, but he's extra available. That's part of the character of this time. In other words, the king isn't just tucked away in his palace. The king is outside in the field, right? So, so what we plant in terms of our deeds in this month, like this letter Yud, right, of Elul, what we plant is going to really blossom. But we're going to go further into this idea. So all of our efforts right now 
really are going to pay off. And they're going to pay off disproportionately. Meaning to say that a mitzvah or uh, any character-building thing that you do right now. Because remember, when we get into Torah, and hopefully we're going to talk about this more later, when we get into Torah, we've got a pasuk from, from a verse from this week's Torah portion, which is it's one of the classic, most famous, quotable lines in the Torah. Tzedek, tzedek, tirdof, which means justice, justice, you shall pursue. Now, why mention the word justice twice? Right? Because the Torah doesn't have an extra letter in it. It doesn't have the, the ex, an extra top of a letter in it. A crown of a letter is an extra. So, so why an entire extra word in there? So, so the explanation that I heard, but we're going to go further with this, I heard in the name of, I believe, Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, is that, why does it say, justice, justice, you shall, you shall pursue? Because you have to do justice in just ways. Okay? In other words, now I'm going to use my words to express this thought, because this gets much deeper into Torah, and this is going to go back into this idea of how we planned, why, why our deeds are disproportionately more important, and what it is that we should be working on right now. So, I would say it like this. We, it's not just that we have to do just things in just ways, right? Let me, let me make it a little more conversational and maybe go a little bit deeper. We have to do the right thing in the right way. We have to do the right thing in the right way. And now this gets in, this now is going to open up vistas in terms of how we're to understand our role in this world and, and what we're doing with the mitzvahs, okay? You see, one of the thickest volumes of the entire Talmud, right, is Gomorrah Sukkah, right? And it's going to tell you everything about how to build a sukkah. Like, everything you need to know and beyond. And it's thick. It's thick. A thick volume, okay? So you say to me, wow, that's a thick volume of... There's so many halachas about how to build a sukkah, right? With all those many laws, it must be that if you're going to build a sukkah properly, every sukkah is going to look the same. And yet, anyone who's ever celebrated sukkahs in a community knows every single sukkah is completely different. And yet they're all abiding by the same laws. Now that's a, that's a phenomenal thought. That's a phenomenal thought. Because, because a lot of times, I think sort of the existential fear of sort of living a Torah life is that, oh, why do I want to have my personality completely wiped clean. Like, what kind of... Who would... No! Excuse me, no. But, but that's a complete misunderstanding. That's not what the Torah is trying to do at all. It's trying to take out your uniqueness and channel it in the most harmonious and beautiful way. But your uniqueness is, is, is the point, right? But then, how are you going to apply it to the world? How are you going to apply it to the fixing of your soul and to the completion of the world, right? Like you can have like, can you imagine you have like the most beautiful painting, a Van Gogh, it's selling for auction right now, $120 million, right? And you go, ah, I have the most illustrious tablecloth, right? Here, put your pot of spaghetti down on my beautiful Van Gogh. <laughs> like what, what are you doing? You have something incredible, but you don't know what to do with it. So we have our uniqueness, and we prize our uniqueness, and Hashem made our uniqueness. But then the question is, what do we do with it? Right? That's just half the picture. So you see from this example of sukkah, that, that no sukkah is the same. And, that, and that's a great thing. Okay. So, 
So it's not just about doing the right thing. We have to do the right thing in the right ways. And this is, this is really awesome. Because, see, let me give you an example. So I heard this from, I think I believe I heard this from Rabbi Shlomo. So someone was doing a, a, one of the biggest mitzvahs in the whole Torah, which is visiting the sick. And here's how the story goes. This person, this is a true story, this person goes and, I don't know the circumstances, but they go to visit someone in the hospital, and they do something like they announce, like, I'm here to do the mitzvah of Biker Holim, of visiting the sick. And the, and the sick person is sick. They're like lying in bed. They're not, you know, they either don't want to see the person or they're, they're too weak to be able to feel as though they can have a conversation. Whatever it is, the, 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 the timing is not great. But the person who's visiting the sick person is so enamored with the fact that they're doing a mitzvah right now, the mitzvah visiting the sick. And so listen to this. Here's the point. The sick person says to the visitor, I am not your lulav to shake. In other words, you know, you want to do a mitzvah, but, you know, you have to do the right thing in the right way. You have to do beautiful things in beautiful ways. And this is really where their creativity, just like no sukkahs are the same, this is really the actual performance of a mitzvah, this is really where the creativity and the individuality of a person gets to shine in the world. How are you going to do the mitzvah? Right? Because there's so many beautiful ways to do it. I had a, uh, an experience the other day. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. These are not great examples, by the way, but I just want to just get you thinking, Okay. So I was, I was walking to shul, it was Shabbos, and someone uh, who I know and, and love, um, I saw half a block in front of me getting out of a car. Okay, so ideally we're not driving on Shabbos. So anyway, everyone's, you know, on their journey, everyone's holding in a different place, we'll all get there, but, but whatever it is, now there is a mitzvah actually to greet another person. Not only to greet another person, but to be the first to initiate the greeting. It's like you, you are supposed to be the first one to say hello. Okay? So, so, here's that mitzvah. I could be the first one to say hello to this person, right? But there's a much bigger mitzvah than that. You know what it is? Don't embarrass another person. <laughs> so you have to have a little bit of brains in your head how to prioritize the different mitzvahs, okay? So I just sort of assessed the situation, and before he could see me, I made an about face, and I walked like half a block the other way and down another block to make sure that he didn't see me see him, so that he wouldn't be embarrassed, even though, by the way, we were going to the same place, (laughs) Okay, so it's not, so, right, so that's, that was an opportunity, God gave me an opportunity to be a little bit creative, right? Right, like how are you, how are you going to do the mitzvah? Okay, so I really want to keep us on track here, I, I could give you more examples, but I, I want to, I want to keep us on track here which is we're talking about this relationship between Elul and the New Year. And how this is like a fertile, a fertile time and fertile ground. And how all times are not created equally. That they all have special qualities to them. And what's really special about this time is this opportunity really to prepare ourselves for the destiny that's coming down for the new world. And again, I use this word destiny very cautiously, because we never don't have free choice. We always have free choice. But the, the, our ability to enact our imprint on the world in terms of shaping the destiny of the world varies at times. Sometimes we can have a much greater impact than other times. So, so what I like to... I, I, I once sort of like came up with this. I'll share it with you and I'll give you an, an example of what I'm talking about. 
See, as great as Elul is for all the things that I'm talking about right now, really Elul reaches, these ideas reach their pinnacle in the days, in the ten days, we call it the Aseris Yemei the ten days that go from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Those days, like, the gates are, like, completely open. As, as open as they are now in Elul, they just go to the next level. And I'll tell you, like, how much so. If you, bless you, if you, normally speaking, it's really, like, spiritually um, uh, beneficial to daven in a minion. And, and, and because, for a lot of reasons, but basically, if you daven on your own, which is, you know, very, very important, obviously, the, the prayers are subject to a little bit more heavenly scrutiny because you're kind of just on your own. But if you're in a community, all the prayers go up at once and you've kind of got, you know, like, like you know, if you've got like a whole crowd around you, it's hard to see the mustard stain on your shirt. You know what I mean? It's sort of like... No one can, no one quite sees it because you're surrounded by people. So, in other words, one's spiritual blemishes aren't as immediately noticeable, and that's I'm just sort of saying it in a more humorous way. But basically, you're accessing the power of Israel because anytime you've got this minion of people, you've got a microcosm of all of Israel at that moment, and so basically, you're you're in the express lane. And that's, 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 that's important. But listen to this. During the 10 days of tshuva, if you daven on your own, your prayers have the same power as if you were davening in a minion. And that's a, that's a very bold statement for the rabbis to be making. Because they're really very like careful about, that's a minion, that's not a minion. So for them to say, okay... That you're by yourself, that even counts as a minion right now. Okay, that's, that, that's big. Now, you can't say certain things. You couldn't say, you know, say Kaddish, if it's just one or less than ten. It doesn't, it doesn't go that far. But, but I'm just trying to give you an example. And of course, during those ten days, even more so, you should daven in a minion, right? Because then you've got even more massive spiritual benefits. But what I'm trying to say is, is that the, the apex of this spiritual opportunity really comes during these, these 10 days. Okay. But let's, 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 let's go further. What I'm trying to emphasize in terms of planting this, the, the, the idea that, that, that Elul is this this fertile ground, and it, and it even rises up further during the 10 days. The greatest actions that we can be doing at this point are, are not only mitzvahs and, and kindness to each other and things like that, but to understand fixing your personality, rectifying your personality. Now, what does that mean, your personality? Um, that means issues of anger. Issues of arrogance, issues of stinginess, um, issues of laziness, issues of carelessness, issues of um, what we call kalos rosh, that's sort of like oddly translated as lightheadedness, but it, what it really means is inappropriate frivolity, like, you know, like kind of joking around when joking isn't really the order of the day at that moment, right? Of course, we, I'm a humor writer by profession, so I, I value humor, but I know enough to know that there are certain times where, you know, that's not the time for that, right? So all of these type of things, sensitivity, patience, these are all sorts of areas where it's very, very important for us to really make that almost like as much the battlefield as anything. And, and let me tell you why. And this is now coming, this is an explanation for why fixing and elevating one's personality traits are absolutely crucial to rectifying your soul. And the explanation I'm giving you now is from Rav Chaim Vital, who was the number one student of the Ari. Okay? So, so what he explains is, is that 
a bad personality trait is worse than an avera, worse than breaking a, a bless you, worse than breaking a mitzvah. So, how how does that work exactly? Because if you've just broken a mitzvah, that's an isolated event. You can repair that event, right? But if a person has a a character flaw, that character flaw will be a fountain for continuous mistakes. Do you understand? So that's why if you want to really like stem the tide, you have to get into your own personality. That, and, and again, this now opens it up because every single person is different. And how you're going to go about really like elevating yourself also is completely different. So, so what I'm trying to emphasize right here, and, and we, we still haven't really gotten to a lot of the, the deeper points that I want to make, but this is all important like homework to, before we can go further. What I'm trying to emphasize right now is the level of interactiveness there is and, and uh, between us and God in terms of what the Torah path is. See, when a person starts to go, well, wait a second, there's a God, and wait a second, all the monotheistic traditions are all based on Judaism. It all goes back to Judaism. And Judaism says that you can't add or subtract from the mitzvahs. So wait a second, if all of them are coming from Judaism, and Judaism is God saying that you can't change it around, well, okay, well, I want to be Jewish. (laughs) I want to do that. Okay, well, now let me figure out what that is, or let me give you another version of this, right? Maybe this one is a little bit more common. People say, hey, you know something? Um, What are you doing Friday night? Why don't you come over? We'll have Shabbos dinner together. Oh, that's so nice. And you go over and you see this like family that actually sits down and they're not on their phones 24-7 and they're actually having a conversation with each other and the food is amazing and the atmosphere is incredible and you go, yeah, this is, of course, this is how we're supposed, this is what we want for our kids and our family and this is what I want for my life. This is, yeah, you know? And then all of a sudden you find out there's 613 mitzvahs. Like, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> like, I thought it was about a nice Friday dinner with some good soup, and now you're telling me there's a way to put on my socks and shoes? You're killing me. Like, come on. You know? So, first of all, in terms of the socks and shoes, if you don't know about that, one of my favorite subjects, um, if you, just in case anyone doesn't know how to put your socks and shoes on in a Torah way, first you put on your right sock, and then your left sock, and then your right shoe, and then your left shoe, and then it changes. You tie your left shoe, and then you tie your right shoe. Okay, so right sock, left sock, right shoe, left shoe, tie your left shoe, you tie your right shoe. Now, people, whenever I share that, people often ask me, like, why? So, so there, there are explanations to this, but I want to tell you the explanation that I heard that meant so much to me. And this just also tells you how individual these things are, because when I tell you this incredibly meaningful explanation of this, you might go, oh, that's crazy, that's ridiculous. But to me, it wasn't. To me, it really meant a lot. So I said, well, why do you put, you know, like, so the person explained to me, if you, let's say you put your right sock on and then your right shoe. Right? So the left foot doesn't have anything, right? So the person says, your left foot's going to feel bad. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you mean there's, there's a way of living my life that's so sensitive it cares about how my left foot feels? I, I want more of that. <laughs> like, to me, that was incredibly meaningful and beautiful. Like, the degree of sensitivity. The degree of sensitivity. And by the way, in Torah and Halacha, you have sensitivity to inanimate objects. That's not an isolated event there. And I'll give you an example. I heard this Halacha from Rabbi Friend. You ready? By Hanukkah, 
Hanukkah, the, the miracle, of course, was on the oil in the menorah, right? It was only enough oil to last for one day, and it lasted for eight days. This was a miracle, okay? So, so when you're lighting the menorah, you can light with candles, or you can light with oil. But since, historically, the miracle was done on oil, it's considered what we would say, mahuder, in other words, more special, to light on oil, Okay? That's just what it is. So now, here's the case. What if you're preparing the menorah, you're getting ready to light it, and you pick up a candle, and then all of a sudden you remember that you have oil in the house? What are you supposed to do? Well, we just said oil is is the better way to go, right? But you just picked up the candle. You're going to insult the candle. So the halacha is that you light with the candle. What a great religion. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly. Honestly. Uh, uh, that the Torah cares about the candle? That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So, all of this is to sensitize us with how to be more compassionate. And when we're more compassionate... We're more creative because we're thinking about the situation, we're thinking about other people's needs, and we're thinking about the best way to do something. Do you understand? So what I'm trying to tell you is that, yes, there, there is a lot of halakha, but where is all the halakha coming from? In other words, you might think, so you're, you're inspired, you just had like an awesome Shabbos, you're inspired, and, and you think, and then you find out, well, I can't do all these laws. This is, this, is, this is crazy. This is crazy. The rabbis are control freaks, right? God's a control freak. That's, that's, that, there's no other explanation. Except that's completely wrong, and there is another explanation. <laughs> the other explanation is the fact that every, there is no thing as a secular moment. There is no such thing as a secular moment because God fills the entire world. That means that every single moment, no matter how mundane, I'm putting on my socks and shoes, no matter how how mundane, how ordinary seeming, if God is everywhere, there must be a way to do everything special. If I'm standing before God every single moment of my life, there must be a special way to do absolutely everything. There has to be so many mitzvahs. There has to be so much halacha because I need to know how can I make this moment, how can I elevate the holiness of this moment? Okay, so, and now you kick in. So it's not just a bunch of rules. Now it's sort of like it's a bunch of moments. And now it's up to me to figure out how I can use my uniqueness with the knowledge of what the halacha is in order to transform this moment. Right? The moment is the canvas. The mitzvah is the paintbrush and the paint. And you're the painter. Right? And you're just like creating. You're just creating scenarios of holiness, of transformation. Okay. So now I want to go deeper. You see, it says that that God judges us. Like you want to know, okay, you're telling me everything is coming down in Everything is coming down in Rosh Hashanah. Now, by the way, let me finish the previous thought. You see, as important as these days are, it just continues to go up and up and up until Yom Kippur. Those 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur go up and up and up. So, so the way I like to describe this period, but especially those days, is that these are the days of wet cement. So what does that mean? wet cement. So so you've all seen this when you're walking down a sidewalk or maybe you've done it yourself, which is that you've got wet cement 
and then someone takes a stick and then writes their name in the wet cement, right? So let me ask you something. Have you ever tried to take a a stick and write your name on dry cement? (laughs) It doesn't work so well. But while the cement is wet, you can absolutely just take something as simple as like a branch from a tree and just write whatever you like. That's what's going on with the times. So these are the days of wet cement. Okay? Now, could I write my name in dry cement? You can. But you've got to really work to do it. Okay? Maybe you probably can't do it with a branch. Maybe you need like a screwdriver or something like that. Or or a hammer and a chisel. But you see it's a lot more work. You understand? So that's the spiritual opportunity of this time. It's very, it's very malleable in this amazing way. Remember, like that yud of Elul is like, is like a seed. You get to plant it and it's going to yield tremendous things. And then it's going to be that same seed is going to turn into like a rocket ship. Right? That's the other side of the yud. And it's just going to go up and up and up and up. Okay. So again, I want to I wanna go deeper. So, so here's the idea. God tells us how he runs the world. And it's through a principle called Mida Keneged Mida, which means that essentially what you put in is what you're going to get out. It's a direct kind of like exchange. One of the ways of visualizing this that I had one time is, imagine, you know when, when, you, when you make a mold, right? Like let's say um, someone's going to make a mold of your face. So what do they do? They put clay on your face or whatever it is, and then they let it set for a while, and then they take it out, and then there's your face inside the clay. It's shaped to fit you. Okay? The world in its newness is surrounding us, and it's making a mold. It's making an impression of who we are. And so the world, and it's happening, this is God in his infinity. God is making a mold of every single one of us, everyone, Jew, non-Jew, all around the world. God is making a mold of everyone on Rosh Hashanah, Right? And then it kind of gets, kind of finishes drying, so to speak, like the wet cement on Yom Kippur. Right? But the, the, the mold itself is being made on Rosh Hashanah. And so the world, the brand new world that's being created, and it's a brand new world coming. We're, we're approaching a brand new world. The brand new world is going to be custom made to shape every single one of us. Do you understand? Okay. So, that means that the me I am on Rosh Hashanah is the me that's going to be have the mold built around. Is that clear? So that means that I want to be the best me on Rosh Hashanah. But God is not superficial. God isn't just doing our face when he makes the mold. He's doing our character traits also. And the mold that he's making is in order to design the world that he's going to create based on what we need and who we are. So now it's like, well, you know, let's say you get an interview for a job to be Secretary of State. Secretary of State of the United States of America. Do you think just anyone gets an interview to be Secretary of State of the United States of America? 
This is one of the biggest jobs in the entire world. They're only telephoning a few people in the world for this job to be called in. So, who are we? What opportunities are going to come our way in the new year? A lot of that is going to reflect who God sees we are. Because God's not going to call in a, you know, you know, a, a cartoonist for that job. Because that person doesn't have the unique skill sets for this position. So in other words, if there are things that you want to accomplish, you have to have, in reality, have demonstrated, have put out in the world in a real way, in a concrete way, that you have these attributes which makes you the appropriate fit for the job that you want. Well, how do you do that? Well, then you, you, we've got to all roll up our sleeves and make sure that, you know, God, I want to get married. Oh, you want to get married? Well, you know something? There's two things. There's getting married and there's staying married. Like, just because you get married doesn't mean you're going to stay married. So God says, I'm interested in people who are going to stay married. Okay, that's fine. So so what attributes does it take to stay married? Well, then maybe if I start doing all of those things, being more patient, listening better, going out of my way, things like this, right? Like focusing on being a, a breadwinner, you know? things like this, then God says, okay, this person is displaying the necessary attributes of someone who can be in a successful marriage. Okay, so let's, let's, okay, now's the time. Now's the time for this person to meet their soulmate. That's an example. That's an example of what I'm talking about. But, but I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper stuff. See, Rabbi, Rabbi Trugman wrote a beautiful new book about all the holidays of the year. I just started reading it. I recommend it. It's, it's very good. Um, and uh, he, he phrased a very deep idea very simply. He says, in Elul, you're building the house that you're going to move into on Rosh Hashanah. See, because remember, the first day of creation of the world is actually the 25th of Elul. It's the sixth day of creation, which is the first day of the month of Tishrei, which is also called Rosh Hashanah. That's actually the sixth day of creation when human beings were made. Okay? Now, we, we call that the beginning of the creation of the world because the world was created for human beings to exercise free choice. So that really is the beginning, even though technically the first day of creation has already happened six days before, the 25th of Elul. So, so this idea that we're moving into the house on Rosh Hashanah that we've built over the previous few days. Very interesting. I'll tell you a story. I, there's a place, I'll, I'll, I'll mention their name because I, I really think this is an amazing story. It's called The Paper Source. It's a, it's a ridiculously expensive uh, gift wrapping store. <laughs> they, they sell other things too. But you, you walk into their, their, their gift wrapping paper, you can't believe it. It's a, it looks like like wallpaper that you would find in like a palace or something like that. You can't even believe it, right? It's not cheap, but it's not prohibitively expensive. It will probably end up costing more than your gift. <laughs> but for certain occasions, it's, it's great, right? Now, my, my wife's 40th birthday was coming, and I, you know, I had some very ambitious plans, and somehow... I, I didn't do any of them. <laughs> and so it was like, 
she was appropriately expecting something meaningful, and I, I really had nothing. I had nothing. So I didn't know what to do. So I got a few things. I got like three presents, but honestly, they were really lackluster presents. But there were three of them, so that's already getting somewhere, you know. Um, but then I had an idea, which was to go to the paper source and to elaborately wrap each one of these three presents. And, and, and I did. And, and by the way, if you go, there's an extra charge if you want them to wrap it. But again, it's, if you have the money, it's worth it because you've never seen sharper corners. I mean, it's like, it's like a work of art. It's amazing the way they folded and the the ribbon. Yeah, definitely spring for the ribbon. You know, you have to, but that also costs. Everything costs. Okay, but the end product is unbelievable, right? It's like something that you could present to royalty or something, right? So, I got these three separate boxes wrapped, all different wrapping paper, all with these bows, and you know, inside I was like. The presents really are not great, you know. But when I presented them to my wife, it was already a massive success. She didn't even she she wasn't even running to open the presents. She was like, "Thank you, it's so oh, you remember, it's so beautiful. Thank you." It just couldn't stop. Okay, so so why am I telling you this story? Because. You see, the first thing that you see is the wrapping paper. Elul, like when you're going into Rosh Hashanah, you're wrapping yourself in Elul. Do you understand? Elul is the wrapping paper that you're presenting yourself to God with on Rosh Hashanah. And the following days as well. This is another example of what I'm trying to tell you, that these days are disproportionately important and disproportionate opportunities, greater opportunities for us. So the more we do now, the more we wrap ourselves into, and the more we actually are becoming that person. It's not, it's not, it's actually deeper than, than, than the wrapping paper analogy. Because how do you do the wrapping paper? By actually doing deeds. And if you're doing those deeds, that means that you are becoming that person. So it's real. It's not a game. It's not a game. It's actually real. It's you're showing transformation. Now, now I want to revisit this idea that on Rosh Hashanah, we move into the house that we made in Elul. Okay, and remember, during the first, the last days of Elul, the world is actually being made. And it's all teed up for the first day of, of, of uh, Tishrei, which is Rosh Hashanah. So the world actually is being made from the 25th day of Elul all the way into Rosh Hashanah. So on Rosh Hashanah, we move into the house that is being made in Elul. And in fact, the world was made in Elul. So that's, that's kind of cool. Okay. So here's, here's how I would describe it. Because on some level, we are making the world, but we know Hashem is making the world. So what's going on exactly? So I would say it like this. Have you ever been to Color Me Mine? Okay, so that's one of these places where you buy like a... Uh, an, an unpainted porcelain tray or a dish or a mug or whatever it is, and then they, you pick out the paints that you like, and then you paint it, and then you give it to them, and they put it into the kiln, right? And then it comes out like a shiny finished object, right? So that's that's kind of what's going on. Um, and now, you know, just to give something to wrap our minds around it, we are making sort of like, we are making it, and then we hand it to God, and God just kind of finishes it off, right? And that's, and, and that's so we're moving into the house that we made in Elul. But that house is really being made by God, right? 
but it's being made by God with the materials that we're giving him. Do you understand? And what is that primary material that we're giving him? Ourselves. And not just ourselves, who we have made ourselves into, especially during these days. See, one of the great kindnesses that God does for us is that he judges us in the moment. Right? Which is, an, that's an amazing chesed. That's an amazing kindness. God says, I am judging you for who you are right now, this moment. Okay, so, but what? I was a rat the, you know, the, the other 11 months. Okay, but are you really who you are right now? I want to be who I am right now. I really, I'm trying to be who I, I mean, I have to be honest. Do I still have work to do? I have so much work to do. But am I really trying to be who I am right now? A hundred percent. So God says, okay, so then th- this is who you are. This is, this, this is, this is what we're dealing with. This, this is who we're making the mold for right now. Okay? And by the way, where do we learn that lesson that God judges us in the moment? So you would think, oh, it must be from one of the greatest figures in the Torah, like from Avraham or from Yitzchak or from Yaakov. We learn it from Yishmael, right? Right? Who's the, the head of the, the Arab nations, right? He, he said, you know, he exhibited righteousness in the moment, and God said, that's who you are. You're, you are who you are right now. That's, that's special. That's special. Okay. So now I want to get deeper into this idea of Mita Kineged Mita. And I'll just tell you my thoughts on it. This is just me talking. But this is an idea that I've sort of struggled with, Mita Kineged Mita, because I don't really like it. But I don't think I really understood it. And, and I understand it a little bit better, so I'm going to just share my little bit better understanding with you. Okay. Again, what does Mida Kenegid Mida mean? What you put in is what you get out. Okay, now by the way, we also, just so you don't take it too literally, we also have a principle, right? This is in Shir Shirm Rabbah, which is that God says if you open up your heart the size of the eye of a needle, just like a little bit, that's the opening at the top of a needle. If you just open it up a little bit, I'm going to open it up like expansive doors. Right? So, so there you see that this idea that what you put in is what you take out, it's not so 100%, right? Because God does, God, God, God works with us and, he, he, you know, I think bonus miles, right? Sometimes you get bonus miles, right? So, so, so that's, that's an effect as well. But I think the idea is like this. You see, and this is a big idea. This is a big idea. People make a mistake. See, and and the mistake is a very normal mistake to make. So many of us, so many of us, I would say all of us at different times in our life and some, some of us unfortunately more so than others, I mean, I, I certainly feel this way. I feel this way right now. So many of us are stuck in our lives. We feel stuck. And, 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 and we draw a very false conclusion from the fact that we feel stuck, which is that the world is stuck. In other words, it's a very natural human thing to do is you project your emotions onto other people, you project your emotions onto the world. You project your emotions onto God. Okay? So life is really like a Rorschach test. Like, what you're seeing is really an example of what you are projecting. You are actually viewing the movie that you're making. <laughs> a very strange thing. So you're kind of living in your own world in a weird way. So because so many of us are stuck, we think the world is stuck because we're projecting our own paralysis onto the nature of the world. 
But can I tell you a very, 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 very crucial thing? The world is dynamic. The world is not stuck. And it's very easy to be stuck in a dynamic world. But the world itself is dynamic. God is dynamic. Change is happening constantly. The last few years, I've had the opportunity to to say these words before the congregation on, on, on Rosh Hashanah. I can tell you 100% what's going to happen over the next year. And, you know, people are like, what? How do you know? What do you, you're like, now, now you're in the profit business? Like, like, like uh, who are you to tell us what's going to happen in the, in, in the next year? I say, I'll tell you what's going to happen in the next year. Change. Change is going to happen. Because the world is dynamic. It changes. It's constantly changing. There are constant openings. The very remember we said in in that the Zohar says that the that the Torah is a blueprint of reality. What's the first passage of the Torah? We talked about the first letter of the Torah. What's the first passage of the Torah? Out of beginnings, God made the world. The entire world is made out of the fabric of beginnings. Every single moment, every single blink of an eye, every single turn of a corner is a new beginning. It's real. It's real. The only question is, do you choose to see it? Do you choose to act on it or not? So what is this Mita Keneged Mita? What is this Mita Keneged Mita business? That, that what you put in is what you're getting at. See, if you are trying to access the dynamism of the world, then God looks at what it is that you're trying to do, and he's, he's now molding the world around you, shaping the world around you, for what you really need. See, that's, that's the amazing thing, because we think we're the greatest authorities of what we need. I'll tell you, I'll tell you something from my own life. You know, in my just naivete, you know, I, I started keeping Shabbos when I was 24, and even though I was sort of, you know, not ready to get married by any means, I thought to myself, well, I'm keeping Shabbos now. I guess it's time to settle down and get married. What a disaster that would have been. <laughs> I'm telling you. I was not ready to, to... I may have been ready to get married. I was definitely not ready to stay married. You know, I did not have those, those attributes yet. And, and those next four years for me, like, it was like, you know, being in this horrendous jail cell. I, 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 it was horrible for me. I, I hated it. But I look back on it now and I say, you know, where I thought I was, God knew better. God knew better. And then it happened in the right time. So, so we are not necessarily... The, the greatest judges of what we need. But what happens is, is that God looks at what we're doing, where we're going, not just our wish list, but who we are. It's going by who we are as evidence by the real stuff, what we're doing. You know, there's a, an expression that I like very much, which is that people vote with their feet. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression or if you know what that means. People vote with their feet. That means that if you want to know what someone wants, look at what they're doing. What they're doing is what they want. So if they say to you and they talk a big game, how I want to do X and I want to do Y, and what are they doing? They're just kind of like browsing Facebook and, you know, drinking water. You know, then, okay, so Mazel Tov, you're voting with your feet. What you want to do is you want to relax in a chair. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's harsh, but we have to be real. It's not, we're not defined by our wish list on some level. I mean, what we aspire to is actually very holy. And the Baal Shem Tov says, where our thoughts are is where we are. So that's very holy too. But then you've also got the nitty-gritty bottom line, which is you're voting with your feet. Right? Like, you are what you're doing. 
Remember, Kabbalistically speaking, this realm that we live in, right, is called Olamasiya, which means the world of action. That means that the currency of this domain is actions. That's what it all boils down to. Thoughts, beautiful. Emotions, beautiful. Actions, way more powerful. Way more powerful. Because that is the coin of the realm. Right? Like, you know, back in the day, before the euro, it's like, you know, those of us who haven't traveled to uh, Europe, don't... It's Europe is like a really weird place, like if you've grown up in America, because America is big, and it's all America, <laughs> you know? And you go to Europe, at least not so long ago, you go to Europe, and there are these countries that are the size of states. Like, can you imagine going from Connecticut to Rhode Island, and they speak a completely different language, <laughs> have a completely different culture? and a completely different currency, and the money from Rhode Island doesn't work in Connecticut. And then you've got like eight countries like that all right next to each other, all pretty small. It's weird. Or it's weird if you're from the U.S. So, so, so you want to hear something intense? This is intense. You know what the Gare Rebbe says? The Chidush he says that when the new year comes, you're entering into a new country with new laws. Got the chills. You're, you know, when we say it's a new world, like he's making it more real, like a new country with new laws. Okay, now I understand what new world means. Like, it's real. It's real. So, so those are actions. What is the, what is the, what is the currency that, that's accepted in every one of these realms when you cross the border? They go, okay, actions, actions, deeds, deeds. Because God is forming the world based on who we are and what we're capable of, not just what we desire. Because uh, can I tell you something? If, 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 I, if I haven't even gone to college, right? Or high school or anything like that, and I want to be, oh man, you know, all economic policy is made by the Fed. I want to be in charge of the Fed. And then I get the job. I'm in charge of the Fed. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I know a guy. He told me this. I still can't believe it. He lied to get a job, okay? And he got an engineering job. <laughs> this guy just really did not think this through. And they, in his first day of work, they gave him engineering stuff to do. He didn't know how to do any of it. So, so it's not what we want it's not just what we want it's nice like wow you got that thing that's great God is looking at what can you do I'm not going to give you a. am not going to grant your wish if your wish is going to crush you right like God is deeper than that God is deeper than that. God is looking at what can you actually do? And he's basing on what can you do by what you are doing, which again is voting with your feet. So, so let's go back to this idea of the letter of Elul being a yud and it being a seed. Well, can I tell you something? Farmers work very hard. Not that I know anything about farming, by the way. But, you know, that rooster crows, like, early. And that's your, that's your alarm clock. You get up early or you get up before the rooster. And you get dressed and, you know, you go out and you're, you're working the land. You're working the land. 
planting is not just whatever. You're working. Okay, so we talked about a lot of things. Let's just kind of review a little bit, okay? It's a dynamic world. The world is not stuck. We project our stuckness on the dynamic world and we think the world is stuck. But just because the walls are not moving, unless you're really drunk right now, (laughs) doesn't mean that you're in a stationary environment. You you know what's crazy? I, I, I always think about this. I don't know why more people don't talk about this. The fact that the world right now, right now, this second, is spinning thousands of miles an hour. And we're not flying off the world. Not only aren't we flying off the world, we think the world is stationary right now. The world is moving thousands of miles an hour in a circle right now, and we're not even aware of it. And it never stops moving. Now that just gives you an example of what I'm talking about in the physical world. So, so I think the highest thing that we can aspire to, or I'll speak for myself, the highest thing that I can aspire to is actually to live in reality. I want to live in reality. And, 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 and as we've talked about so often, not all of what actually is going on is immediately visible to the eye. Which means that, you know, you have to really, like, inculcate deeply within yourself certain things that aren't in front of your face all the time in order to live in reality. So, I want to bless us you know, and as Rip Shlomo would say, I'm blessing you, bless me back, right? Blessing all of you with a dynamic preparation for an even more dynamic year. And that you should make your wish list of what it is that you want in the coming year and you should ask yourself, what qualities does someone who gets this have to have? And then to say, okay, how in my life can I begin to vote with my feet and begin to realize in this world through my action some of these qualities right now so that I can wrap myself in Elul and I can plant in Elul something that will blossom in the new year. So that when that mold is made out of the new year, right? The world that we're making right now, that we're going to inhabit, when that, when that new world, when that new mold, when that new country with the new laws that I move into are being formed from me who I am right now, that they are the, the realization, the open pathways for me to realize what it is that I feel as though I can uniquely contribute to the world with the individual gifts and the individual creativity that's been put inside me so that I can not just do the right thing, but I can do the right thing in the right ways, in the most beautiful ways, all for the sake of heaven.